The Internal Revenue Service says America's mayor, America's mayor Rudy Giuliani owes more than half a million dollars to the government in back taxes. And according to reports, Giuliani was told by the United States government he still hasn't paid them and he owes them $549,000. He was told that uh, if he doesn't pay back the $549 he owes just for 2021, it will be time to repossess his homes. He's already selling his home in New York City, which he's already borrowed from, so he doesn't have a place to live in New York City. A spokesman for Giuliani said it's no coincidence that the IRS is sticking him with the bill the very same week that Rudy Giuliani took Joe Biden to court, alleging the president defamed the Russian pawn when President Biden referred to the Russian pawn in a 2020 presidential debate as a Russian pawn. As I just said, the IRS has told the Russian pawn, Rudy Giuliani, that he owes about $550,000 in back taxes. They've Uh, They placed a lien on his Florida penthouse and told him he had until September 1st of this year to pay the government back. Otherwise, they would sell the penthouse and keep the proceeds. Rudy's Florida penthouse has been valued at $4.5 million or $8 billion in Trump bucks. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is reportedly leaving the Democratic Party and will run as an independent. Now, last week, if you remember, I suggested that if Bobby Kennedy does make a third party bid, he would be more of a threat to Donald Trump than he would Biden. I don't know if you remember when I said this. I posited that 70 percent of likely Republican voters now say they wish someone other than Trump was running for president. That's a fact. 70% of likely Republican voters say they wish somebody other than Trump were running. And that 70% includes people who are voting for Trump, but who say they wish they didn't have to. Now, a lot of Republicans who voted for Trump no longer like what they see, but they can't bring themselves to vote for Joe Biden because that means they're admitting they're wrong. These are the people who don't vote for Trump because... Uh, they they wouldn't vote for Trump because, uh, you know, it's not that they agree with him. They they vote for Trump because they want to stick it to the Democratic Party. They hate Joe Biden. They want to hurt Joe Biden. They want to make a, a, a statement with their vote. In many ways, they define themselves as Trump voters or as angry renegades who are voting against the status quo. So I suggested that Bobby Kennedy could peel those votes away from Trump because Kennedy is kind of synonymous with the Democratic Party and Trump voters would see a vote for Bobby Kennedy as a way of sticking it to Joe Biden. And so I can see where Kennedy has more appeal to Trump voters. He offers the same populist messages mixed in with heavy with a heavy dollop of conspiracy theories. Like I said, if you vote for Bobby, you get you feel like you're sticking it to Biden. Well, I said the polls probably don't back me up on that quite yet. But this week, Politico reported that they do. Internal polling on a third party run 
for Bobby Kennedy Jr. indicates Trump is going to lose more likely voters to Bobby Kennedy than Joe Biden will. Kennedy continues to alienate supporters on the left and might have severed ties permanently on Friday when he accepted an invitation to speak later this month at CPAC in Las Vegas. CPAC is the conservative political action committee that served as the launching pad for Donald Trump's presidential run back in 2015. It has welcomed far-right extremists like Hungarian leader Viktor Orban. This is a hotbed for rabid conservatism. Matt Schlapp, the chairman of CPAC, currently facing multiple accusations of financial misconduct, as well as accusations that he sexually assaulted three men despite opposing LGBTQ rights. Matt Schlapp said he was excited about having Bobby Kennedy speak at his event. Matt Schlapp said, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has a unique voice in advocating for the defunding of the weaponized bureaucracy and ensuring the constitutional right of medical freedmen. Plus, he looks great without his shirt on. I think that's what Matt Schlapp might have added. Uh, Also speaking on the bill in Las Vegas at CPAC at the end of this month will be Vivek Ramaswamy, who has opposed getting rid of teachers unions, turning eastern Ukraine over to Putin and getting rid of the 14th Amendment's birthright citizenship clause, even though his father is not an American citizen and he himself was a beneficiary of the birthright citizenship clause. While campaigning in Iowa on Thursday, Vivek Ramaswamy said that LGBTQ protesters trailed one of his campaign cars, honking their horn, shouting obscenities, and then plowing into the Ramaswamy mobile. Ramaswamy took to social media and said, you know, it's okay to have differences of opinions, but it must stop. It must stop when it gets violent. Unless you're January 6er, in which case Vivek will grant pardons to every January 6er on day one of his administration. That's what, uh, that's what he promised. Turns out Ramaswamy is a liar, right? We knew that, and he lied about his campaign staff being attacked by protesters in Iowa. Never happened. Iowa police say they investigated the allegations and concluded that the Ramaswamy people filed a false police report. Turns out a 22-year-old woman had been eating at a diner. She was backing out of her parking spot when she accidentally bumped into the Ramaswamy mobile. It's a Ford Expedition. And they just bumped minor, minor damage. Nevertheless, Ramaswamy, who's a liar, insisted the police were wrong. He insisted the police were wrong in an email blast to his supporters, begging them to donate money so he can continue his fight, he said, for freedom of speech. And by freedom of speech, he means filing phony police reports. Well, the Vivek Ramaswamy car accident was fake, but the New Jersey Attorney General announced on Friday that he is launching an official investigation into a fatal car crash involving Nadine Menendez, 
the indicted wife of indicted New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez. Back in 2019, the senator's then-girlfriend, soon-to-be co-defendant for life, was speeding through the streets of Bogota, New Jersey, and it's pronounced Bogota, not Bogota. No, hold it. It's pronounced Bogota, New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. It's, it's Bogota, New Jersey. She was speeding through the streets of Bogota, New Jersey, when she hit and then killed a pedestrian. According to video, the soon-to-be Mrs. Senator Menendez, she was the soon-to-be Mrs. Senator Menendez at the time, uh, she didn't tend to the victim while he was bleeding out. Instead, she sat in her car for seven minutes doing absolutely nothing, reading My Pet Goat while the world around her was crumbling. No, I'm sorry, that's George W. Bush on 9-11. But she sat in her car for seven minutes, didn't attend to the victim. When police showed up, body cam footage that has just been released suggests that cops referred to her as, quote, a friend of ours. She was never tested for drugs or alcohol and was assured by officers on the scene that she wouldn't be charged with a crime. Nadine Menendez was not injured in the accident because, as you can probably tell from this picture, she was born with factory-installed airbags. But her Mercedes was destroyed. She and her husband are charged with accepting bribes from three businessmen, two of whom, according to this indictment, gifted her, after the accident, with a brand-new $60,000 Mercedes convertible, in exchange for Senator Menendez getting on the phone to make some criminal investigations disappear. We'll find out more about this come May 6, when the two of them go to trial. You're looking at Darren Woods. He is the CEO of Exxon, the fossil fuel giant that knew for decades that their product was heating up the planet and decided to bury the evidence while pumping millions, maybe billions of dollars each year into conservative think tanks willing to challenge the science on climate change. Thanks to Darren Woods, the CEO of Exxon, a new report from the United Nations says that during the past six years, 43 million children have been forced to flee their homes around the world because of climate change-related disasters like hurricanes, flooding, and drought, all of which, and fires, all of which caused, which are caused by this man, Darren Woods, the CEO of ExxonMobil. This is his address if you'd like to send him a postcard, not a letter, be polite, Darren Woods, 5959 Las Colinas Boulevard. That's Las Colinas, C-O-L-I-N-A-S Boulevard, Irving, Texas, 75039-2298. Just send a postcard, be polite, but remind him that he is personally responsible for 43 million children being displaced during the past six years. Send a postcard, not a letter, letters have to be opened, and they're trouble. Just send him a postcard. Keep it polite, but let him know who he is. He's a serial killer. The United Auto Workers strike against the three major car makers is now three weeks old. 
And on Friday, the head of the union, Sean Fain, said he will not be expanding the strike any further now that significant progress seems to be made with GM and Stellantis or Chrysler. Stellantis is Chrysler. Last Friday, Sean Fain expanded the number of workers on strike to 17% of his entire union when he decided GM and Stellantis were not serious about negotiating with him. Sean Fain said he would limit strikes against Ford, which he says has been negotiating with the UAW in good faith before the strike even began. One of the sticking points in the negotiations has been the switch to electric vehicles, which require fewer workers. More importantly, the big three automakers have formed a consortium to build batteries for the electric vehicles and have resisted efforts to unionize those workers in these plants. But a breakthrough was announced on Friday. This is big. Sean Fain said that while the UAW has yet to iron out a final contract, General Motors caved and they became uh, one of America's largest makers of batteries for electric vehicles to agree to have a union assembly line. And uh, this is big. The, they're, they're, they have a, in Arlington, Texas, they have an assembly plant that makes electric batteries for electric cars. They didn't want the workers to go union, but Sean Fain from the UAW was able to negotiate that for the union. Here he is making the announcement. GM has now agreed in writing to place their electric battery manufacturing under our national master agreement. We've been told for months that this is impossible. We've been told the EV future must be a race to the bottom. And now we've called their bluff. What this will mean for our membership cannot be understated. I like uh, a union head who wears an Eat the Rich t-shirt. Isn't that great? He's wearing an Eat the Rich t-shirt. God bless him. That's what you want your union leaders to wear, an Eat the Rich t-shirt. We are never going to have real progress in America until the people who represent the workers are not ashamed of being workers and refuse to identify with the ruling class. More importantly, they have to terrify the ruling class. The ruling class must live in constant fear of the workers. I don't need union leaders who aspire to be rich. We need union leaders like Sean Fain who want to eat the rich. Nobody, nobody needs to be rich. If we live in a country that provides livable wages, clean parks, affordable homes, and free education, good paying jobs. It is better to be middle class than rich, or at least it used to be. Being middle class and living a quiet life with eight hours each day for work, eight hours for sleep, and another eight hours for family and recreation, that is the key to a long, productive, and happy life. But since Reagan, they have stripped us of that. Now only the rich 
get vacations. Only the rich get to relax. Now only the rich get to witness beautiful sunsets on the beach. They've taken our schools, our parks, our shared commons, and turned them over to the oligarchs who either keep it all for themselves or charge us for what we built and used to be ours. So, as a result, Americans, fewer and fewer Americans, see no point in aspiring to be middle class because it's no longer enough. It used to be enough, but now in America, thanks to Reagan, you're either rich or poor, and there are a million reasons that has happened. What we need to repair this is to have union leaders with class consciousness, union leaders who say, I only want an honest wage for honest work, then I want to go home and be left alone. I don't need to be rich. I just need food, shelter, a livable wage, free health care, free health care, free health care, good schools for my children, safe streets, clean air, drinkable water, and a retirement free from fear. You know, like everybody in Europe and Canada has. Now, white people in America used to have that, as well as some, some people of color also used to have that. But after Reagan, they stripped us of it. They convinced us somehow that there's something wrong with being working class or middle class or being a member of the bourgeoisie, and they misuse the word bourgeoisie, but the, the, being middle class was a pejorative. You know, I don't think so. I think being middle class in your thinking and in your checking account, I think it's healthier. There's something sick about getting paid $24 million a year to run an auto company that that uh, keeps crawling to the government every couple of years, begging for bailouts and tax breaks. So if we want a better life, we don't we shouldn't aspire to be rich. We need to stop identifying with the rich. You must, in fact, hate them. Your boss is your enemy. Hate your boss. Hate your boss. Hate rich people because they have more money than you do. Make them fear you. Since August, 15,000 hotel workers in Los Angeles have been on strike. Now, you might remember city workers in Los Angeles joined the strike for one day and they shut everything down in solidarity with the workers, hotel workers who are demanding a livable wage. Some hotels have made deals with the workers in Los Angeles, but the Marriott has not. Now, Unite Here is a union representing hundreds of thousands of hotel, food service, laundry, warehouse, and casino gaming workers around America. And today it's calling attention to the fact that the Arizona Diamondbacks are in Los Angeles to play the Dodgers this weekend, and they will be crossing a picket line. The Arizona Diamondbacks will be staying at the Marriott Hotel in Los Angeles instead of the other hotels in Los Angeles that have signed union contracts. Something for all of us to keep in mind, 
the next time players walk out and try to convince us their union is no different from anybody else's. Arizona Diamondbacks, it's not too late to stay at a hotel that has signed a contract with Unite here. If you would like to send a postcard to the Arizona Diamondbacks, their address is 401 East Jefferson Street, Phoenix, Arizona, 85004. Go Dodgers! Explosive job numbers reported on Friday. The federal government said September saw the biggest jump in workers since January of this year. 336,000 jobs were added in September. That marks 33 straight months of job growth. Joe Biden, whether you like it or not, has created more jobs than any president in American history. His predecessor, Donald Trump, whether you like it or not, lost more jobs than any president in American history since Herbert Hoover during the Great Depression. Trump, failure. Biden, success. We are now experiencing the longest stretch of job growth in nearly 60 years, with unemployment staying below 4% for two straight years. That's almost a record. Wages are also are reportedly rising at a modest pace, but keeping up with inflation, which seems to be now cooling down. Inflation seems to be cooling down. Most of these, most of these new, new jobs are non-union. Nobody can afford to rent or buy a place to live, and half this country can't come up with $500 for a medical emergency. We have an eviction crisis, a health care crisis, but we didn't elect Bernie Sanders we elected Joe Biden, okay? Joe Biden promised to increase the minimum wage. He hasn't kept that promise. The minimum wage has not been raised since 2009. It's been sitting at $7.25 an hour since 2009. When you factor in inflation, the Republicans have succeeded in finally getting rid of the minimum wage. $7.25, that's slavery. But to his credit, Joe Biden has tried to extend the eviction moratorium. It's not slavery. It's starvation wages. That was wrong choice of words. But Biden, uh, to his credit, has tried to extend the eviction moratorium. But the Supreme Court reversed. They reversed it. He tried to forgive hundreds of billions in student debt. But three months ago, the Supreme Court reversed it. Could Joe Biden do better? Yeah, but we knew what we were getting. We knew what we were getting when we picked Biden instead of Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, right? I voted for Bernie. He was my first choice. Elizabeth Warren was my second choice. But the Democrats, they wanted Biden. Like I keep saying, only 40% of Americans who can vote vote. So if you're playing to the 40% of Americans who vote, not talking about social justice here, if you're playing to the 40% of Americans who vote, you're playing to a lot of people who aren't living paycheck to paycheck or dependent on food stamps or the child tax credit. For those people, Joe Biden is way different from Trump. 
for those people, the 40% who vote, Joe Biden has a record to run on. Here he is making the case for Bidenomics. Bidenomics, that was a term that was a pejorative a year ago, but like Obama embracing Obamacare, Biden now proudly uses the pejorative, right? Obamacare was a bad word, and then Obama took it, and Biden seems to be taking Bidenomics. We've achieved a 70-year low in unemployment rate for women, record lows in unemployment for African-Americans and Hispanic workers, and people with disabilities. And now he begins to tout his record in campaign mode. We have the highest share of working-age Americans in the workforce in 20 years. And inflation. And inflation is coming down at the same time. It's down 60% since last summer. Core inflation was just 2.2% over the past three months. And now we have the lowest inflation of any major economy in the world. Biden then sang the praises of Bidenomics. It's no accident. It's Bidenomics. We're growing the economy from the middle out, the bottom up, not the top down. Okay, so again, I'm not talking social justice. I'm talking about winning elections by appealing to the 40% of Americans who vote. And as far as those people are concerned, Biden has a record, a damn good record to run on. He's not Bernie. I wanted Bernie. He's not a democratic socialist. I wanted a democratic socialist, okay? You wanted Biden, who deals with what he thinks is possible, and has a very limited imagination. It's not what I wanted, but I'm voting for him because compared to everyone in the Republican Party, he's Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This is the mop-up for October 7th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Please like this so I remain in your feed. Please subscribe and remember to hit the notification button so you always know when a new episode has been launched. And go to my website to subscribe to my newsletter. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia has been a thorn in Joe Biden's side since day one of the administration. Because the Democratic majority in the Senate was so tight during the first two years of the Biden administration, it's nothing short of a miracle that Biden was able to pass the CHIPS Act. This is uh, the CHIPS Act is the first time in my life where this country had an industrial policy, where we were literally investing money in industry, openly investing in industry. The CHIPS Act, it's amazing. The Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the American Rescue Plan of 2021, which in itself pumped nearly $2 trillion into our economy. That's a lot of spending, spending we've never seen before, record spending. And yet inflation is under control, which dispels the tired conservative trope that inflation is caused by massive spending by the federal government to prop up the social safety net. That's a lie. Once again, we have seen through Joe Biden and the Democrats spending 
that when the federal government pumps money into the economy, jobs are created. They can't believe we're, we haven't had a recession. These job numbers are blowouts. They, they just can't believe it. Everybody's going, where's the recession? Where's the recession? The government stimulated the economy. So people are working with very little inflation. Once again, we have proven that Keynes was right. When the federal government stimulates the economy and money finds its way into the middle class, the upper middle class, that money gets spread around and uh, creates more jobs. And like I said, inflation is negligible. Now, yes, there is inflation. It is not related to federal spending. Even Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, has said that. Jerome Powell, whose job it is, is to fight inflation, says that inflation is not caused by government spending. The inflation we had, and last year it was pretty bad, it was caused by supply chain issues that were COVID-related and higher fuel, uh, higher fuel costs associated with the war in Ukraine. Inflation that we see has nothing to do with providing a social safety net for Americans. But pricks like Democrat Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, who is running for re-election next year, he did everything he could to pare down Joe Biden's ambitious legislative agenda. And there are now rumors that he is no longer planning on making a third party run for president. People were worried that he was delusional and thought there was an appetite, that there was mansion mania out there. There isn't. The clock is ticking. If he were going to make a move running as, say, a problem solver, there's talk that the problem solvers are thinking of mounting a ticket. He would have done so already. This week, he made peace with the Biden administration when he said, I don't think that democracy as we know it could withstand another Trump administration. And then he had some advice for Joe Biden, which I think is interesting. He said that Joe Biden should be debating Democrats. He wasn't saying there's he was hinting that maybe somebody should challenge him from within the Democratic Party. This is what Joe Manchin said, and it makes a little sense. He's talking about his own political experience. I've always been scared because I've always never been unopposed, and that was always good. He goes on to say, I've learned that from every race I was ever in, I've learned from my opponents. The person running against me, I got knowledge from them. I could pick something. I could use it. Debating and fighting is good. I understand we need to protect Joe Biden, but it is healthier when the Democrats have spirited debates and fights among themselves. It sharpens our knives. It when we flex our muscles, 
it makes us stronger. Uh, as long as we come together in November. On Wednesday, Joe Biden announced that he was going to waive more than 20 environmental laws to expedite the building of a wall along the Texas border to keep migrants from entering our country. I attacked him on Wednesday for doing that. On Thursday, Biden explained that the money for the wall was authorized back in 2019 before he was president and he was mandated by law to spend it. I'll answer one question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't, they wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what is appropriate. I can't stop that. And then asked if he thought walls work, Biden said. Do you believe the border wall works? No. Pretty honest. And that's what he campaigned on. He said walls don't work. So what's going on here? I played that clip on yesterday's show coming to his defense, saying that he was congressionally mandated to spend the money on the wall. But nobody on the left seems to be forgiving him. On Thursday, the ACLU condemned the president for caving into political pressure and called expanding the border wall a profound betrayal. The ACLU said that Biden ran on a promise not to ban people from entering America, as well as promising not to build a wall. The ACLU said President Biden ran on the campaign. No bans, no walls. Now he says yes to an extreme asylum ban and yes to expediting construction of a dangerous and ineffective border wall in Texas that will harm the environment, border communities, and indigenous peoples. This is, as always, a political football. Alejandro Mayorkas is the head of Homeland Security. Earlier in the week, he was quoted as saying the migrant crisis is getting so bad that America needs to get cracking on a wall. But on Friday, our Homeland Security Director backtracked and said his comments had been taken out of context. He said, from day one, this administration has made clear that a border wall is not the answer. That remains our position, and our position has never wavered. Maybe it has. This is political now. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the 33-year-old congresswoman from the Bronx, lashed out at Biden funding the wall. She said the Biden administration was not required to waive several environmental laws to expedite the building of the border wall. She goes on to say, a wall does nothing to deter people who are fleeing poverty and violence from coming to the United States. You do not risk your life or your children's lives going through the Darien Gap or traversing hundreds of miles of desert if you have any other options. Walls only serve to push migrants into more remote areas increasing their chances of death. It is a cruel policy. I agree. 
New York City Mayor Eric Adams two weeks ago, coward that he is, said the migrant crisis is going to destroy New York City. This was despicable. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. Really? Migrants are going to destroy New York City. And then he added, Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. Well, then uh, you should uh, resign. I have never in my life heard a mayor of the greatest city in the world say there's a problem that he or she can't solve. So you should you should resign. On Thursday, Mayor Adams visited Mexico City and discussed the issue of migrants coming from Central America. Then, as though it's going to make a difference, he had a message to the migrants. He said, don't come to my city. Don't come to New York City. Where the effing Statue of Liberty is. Tender your resignation, Mayor. Tender your resignation. Half this city is empty right now. Tender your resignation. Dylan Quattrucci was caught on tape telling Capitol Police to hang themselves during the Capitol siege of January 6th. So uh, on Friday, it was announced that he would no longer serve as Donald Trump's deputy campaign director in New Hampshire. This is who's advising Donald Trump in New Hampshire. People, or was, until they're caught on tape telling Capitol Police officers to hang themselves on January 6th. That is Dylan Quattrucci, who up until yesterday served as Donald Trump's deputy campaign director in New Hampshire. Why? Because he works either cheap or for free, because Donald Trump is hoarding all those campaign donations to pay his legal fees and to pay the VIG on all the money he borrowed from the Russian mafia. Friday was day five of Donald Trump's civil trial in New York City, where he has already been found guilty of defrauding lenders by inflating the value of his properties, sometimes as much as 2,500%. The trial continues next Tuesday with the court taking Columbus Day off. On Friday, during a flurry of legal motions made all over America, uh, especially his four criminal trials, and several civil ones, Trump lawyers said they will drop their lawsuit against Judge Arthur Engeron, who ruled last week that Trump was already guilty of fraud and gave Trump two weeks to put his New York State companies into receivership, where they would then be dissolved and his properties would be sold off. Trump immediately sued the judge, accusing him of ignoring some fictitious ruling from an appeals court. On Friday, uh, the judge in the civil suit denied a motion from Trump's attorneys to delay the trial. 
but he did agree to suspend the dissolution of Trump's companies and properties until the former president's lawyers can appeal his ruling. Friday was a uh, bad day for Trump, and it cut to the core of his identity as a former senior controller for the Trump organization, took the stand and confessed to doctoring financial documents, confessed to inflating the values of non-existent mansions built by Eric Trump, as well as inflating the value of the Trump organization's crown jewel, Mar-a-Lago. It was devastating testimony. Former Trump financial executive Jeffrey McConney said under oath that he was asked to file phony tax returns for the Trump organization. He consented, he said, for fear that if he refused, he would be fired. McConney said that Trump's chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, who has already been found guilty in a related trial, and ended up serving several months at Rikers Island earlier this year, McConney testified that Alan Weisselberg ordered him to forge documents, tax documents, as well as cut payroll checks to Weisselberg's wife, who was not an employee, but do it anyway so that she can qualify for Social Security benefits. McConney admitted to filing loan documents, loan documents, listing Mar-a-Lago as a property worth half a billion dollars. McConney said he was just following orders. McConney said it wasn't until years later that he learned Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate was worth far less because of zoning restrictions, as well as tax incentives awarded to Donald Trump when he agreed to deed this property to an historical trust while promising to keep Mar-a-Lago as a social club. In other words, despite Trump's insistence that he could get as much as a billion, two billion dollars from Mar-a-Lago, by law, he is not allowed to sell it to developers. And yet, he had it appraised for half a billion dollars and then used that appraisal to secure loans from banks. He's already been found guilty of that. Judge Eileen Cannon, the Trump appointee presiding over the criminal trial down in Miami where Trump is charged with violating the Espionage Act when he mishandled classified documents, the judge has agreed to a temporary delay over security concerns. Lawyers for Trump argue they want to be able to review these classified documents to make their case that the documents were of little to no import. But to review these documents, a secure room must be agreed upon where the lawyers can be alone with the documents under the supervision of the intelligence agencies that produce them. Apparently, securing these facilities will take longer than expected. This case is also a slam dunk. The civil trial going on in New York right now, the fraud trial, is a slam dunk. He's already been found guilty. 
and the classified documents is a slam dunk. Neither one will send him to prison. The civil trial, he doesn't go to prison, he just has to pay fines, and he'll lose everything and be exposed as the bankrupt charlatan that most of us already knew he was. And with the security, with the Espionage Act trial, he'll be found guilty, but uh, from what I hear, he's not going to prison over it. Be nice. Fox News announced that its anchor, Brett Baer, would host a debate between Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan as the two of them vie for Speaker of the House. But after the announcement, members of the Republican caucus objected. They insisted the fight for Speaker is a family affair and should be conducted behind closed doors. Later in the day, the Fox debate was canceled. Meanwhile, 90 Republicans in the House signed a letter demanding that the fight for Speaker be kept within the family, should be done behind closed doors, and no, vo no votes should be brought to the House floor until they are certain the Republican nominee for Speaker has 218 votes. Though that would mean he won. Yeah, they want. They say do not nominate a speaker and vote on it unless you have a guarantee of 218 votes. The Republicans said they don't want a repeat of last January, where it took 15 rounds until Kevin McCarthy finally won the job. They found it embarrassing. Early Friday morning, Donald Trump, who was considering a run for speaker announced he was throwing his weight behind House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan, who served as Trump's attack dog and lap dog during his administration. In the final days of his presidency, Trump awarded Jim Jordan a presidential medal of freedom. Disgraceful. Troy Nels, speaking of disgraceful, is a Freedom Caucus congressman from Texas, and he was prepared, along with Marjorie Taylor Greene, to nominate Trump for speaker. But late Thursday, he received a call from Trump thanking him for his loyalty, but told Congressman Nels that he was going to nominate uh, Jim Jordan, that, that uh, Trump was going to... Uh, support Jim Jordan. Troy Nels then infuriated Trump by making the announcement before Trump could. He jumped the gun. Trump will probably punish him for this. Troy Nels screwed up big time. Trump was planning on staging an apprentice-like walk through the nation's capital next week with flair and tension so he could dramatically declare that he's not running for speaker, but will instead turn his support over to Jim Jordan. He wanted to make a reveal. He wanted to announce that he was thinking of running for speaker, scare everybody by walking through the Capitol, and then at the last minute, stand in front of a bank of microphones and nominate uh, Jim Jordan. But once Troy Nels made the announcement, Trump lost interest and uh, apparently was yelling at Nels for having a big mouth. 
Kevin McCarthy says he will not accept a nomination to run for speaker again, even though there are still some who believe he might be the only one in the caucus able to get the 218 votes necessary. McCarthy announced on Friday that despite rumors, he's not leaving Congress. He will stay throughout 2024 and then run for re-election. He's a liar. He'll take a job. He's, he's gone. Or he'll run for speaker next week. But if he doesn't get to be speaker, if they don't apologize and nominate him and elect him, he'll leave. He'll, he'll cash in. All of this will start up again Tuesday morning after Columbus Day. So here's the key number to keep in mind. 18. 18 Republican members of the House are currently serving in districts that Joe Biden won in 2020. These are incredibly vulnerable seats. And their political calculus right now is convincing their constituents that they are not MAGA, that they are not willing to shut the government down, that they are there to do the people's business. So they're thinking. You know, Jim Jordan is an extremist. And so is Steve Scalise. I mean, I think in the end, Steve Scalise is uh, more popular in the Republican caucus than Jim Jordan. He's certainly a, a prodigious fundraiser, unlike Jim Jordan. But uh, he's an extremist. They're both extremists. I think Steve Scalise has cleaner hands than Jim Jordan. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries penned a piece in the Washington Post calling for bipartisanship. The Problem Solvers Caucus is made up of about 30 Democrats and Republicans. They represent moderates from both parties. Uh, you know, Josh Godheimer from New Jersey is a problem solver. He's a Democrat who is really a Republican. But those are the problem solvers. And not a single Democratic problem solver, not a single Democratic member of the problem solvers reached across the aisle on Tuesday and voted for McCarthy, which is why the problem solvers caucus is now in danger of collapsing. Republican members are threatening to quit. Well, like I said, this is the key number, 18. 18 Republicans know that they lose their seats if they don't deliver a budget and a speaker before the Thanksgiving recess. So this story is far from over. Congress has until November 17th to pass a budget or the government shuts down. It is conceivable that we will go until November 17th without a speaker. It is conceivable. The government could shut down and we won't have a speaker. I don't know. Leave a comment. Do you think the Republicans are going to be able to find 218 votes uh, to get a speaker? Uh, do you want them? to come together, or do you want them to fail? 
Or do you want Hakeem Jeffries to work with these 18 Republic, Republicans in districts that were won by President Joe Biden? Are you rooting for the problem solvers? Hakeem Jeffries can't get elected speaker. This weekend, he might be the most powerful politician in Washington. Stay tuned. Let me check in with my girlfriend, who's really depressed. Uh, I love you, honey. Yay. Okay. Uh, I bought I bought new slacks. I know you were complaining that I haven't really been dressing properly, so I bought a really nice pair of tight chinos that accentuate my butt. Yay. Okay. Maybe we can... Uh, you know, grab a drink Saturday night. Wouldn't that be nice? You and me alone, a little French bistro, sharing a bottle of wine, just you and me? Yay. Okay. You know I love you. I know you've been very depressed. I know you were very happy when when we first met, and now you're almost catatonic. So, uh, you know I love you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Nay. Hmm. Okay. Uh, you keep telling me you don't love me. Uh, it, it Yay. Really, okay. It, it really hurts my feelings and, and makes me wonder if this relationship... I mean, when you say you don't love me, it, it hurts my feelings. Yay. Okay. Wow. Relationships are hard. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay weak. Stay weak. <laughs> Stay weak and protect the strong. Wow. Uh, Stay weak and protect the strong. I almost became a Republican there. Uh, I've had no sleep. I did Sam Cedar. Uh, I did the majority report with Sam and Emma and... Uh, and I've had no sleep. But it was really, you should check it out. It was really a lot of fun. Uh, I love the majority report. Uh, I did the majority report, honey. Did, did, did you like it? Yay. Okay. You, you, you thought I was, you, you thought I was funny? You, you thought I was good? Yay. Oh, good. Okay. And uh, so at least you think I'm talented. Yay. Oh. 